Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by Connor Hope, here to recap Feast Week and take a look at the week ahead. Uh, Connor, our first real extended stretch of high-level basketball around the country last week with all of the early season non-conference tournaments. I don't think there was anything as shocking that happened in those tournaments last week uh, as Michigan winning the battle for Atlantis, blowing out two top 10 teams in North Carolina uh, and Gonzaga on their way to winning that championship and uh, ended up this week making the biggest jump or tied for the biggest jump in AP poll history, going from unranked all the way to number four. Uh, lost tonight, uh, the recording this Tuesday night, lost Tuesday night to number one Louisville on the road. Uh, but you have to be impressed with what Michigan was able to do last week. No, absolutely. And I m- mentioned last week, um, after they had beaten Gonzaga, that no team in the country right now has done more for themselves uh, through the month of November than Michigan has. And even though they lost at Louisville, you know, beating Iowa State, beating a cr- kind of crushing uh, Gonzaga, and then having that solid win against UNC, no team in the country still, I don't think, has a better resume than, than Michigan. I know they have the loss, um, but no one has more quality wins or, or as high quality wins strung together as Michigan does. And And look... They're going to beat you with defense. and But I think what they showed against Gonzaga, what they showed against UNC, and what they showed against Iowa State is that when they are scoring, they're probably the scariest team in the country. And yeah. while Michigan or while Virginia's defense is the best defense we've seen at least since the, the early 2000s, um, I'm, I fear michigan's defense more because it creates turnovers and you know that they can go on hot streaks scoring the ball so even though they struggled to score against louisville and and louisville has an excellent defense as well and i think that we can it's probably safe to say right now that louisville's the best team in the country Mm -hmm. michigan's defense when their offense is scoring is the one defense in the country that I think would put fear in pretty much every team they play. Yeah. And I don't want to go too dig uh, or too far into a wormhole here, just with the the Louisville Michigan game, but uh, what has made Michigan's offense so effective in their games in Atlantis was Xavier Simpson's ability to kind of run the show, get in the lane, create shots for others. Uh, that 13.13 assist performance he had against Gonzaga, uh, he was just toying with them the entire time, it felt like. And against Louisville, they Louisville kind of cut him off and limited him. Michigan's offense uh, fell apart around him. Uh, their defense is, as you mentioned, truly elite, uh, but they need Xavier Simpson to be at his best uh, and penetrating opposing defenses if they're going to continue to be able to play at that level. It was one game, road game, number one team in the country. Plenty of, of things you can point to as just this being a bit of an outlier for Michigan, but that's the key I, I think I see for them moving forward. The other big, I think, surprise that came out of Feast Week uh, from these tournaments, we'll get to Stephen F. Austin's win over Duke a little bit later, uh, but was Dayton's run through Maui. I know they didn't win, lost to Kansas in that overtime game, um, but I think they earned a lot of respect around the country. Absolutely. And while I might be a little bit hesitant to, to put Dayton as the best mid-major team in the country, um, I think they're right there with Gonzaga. I think they're right there with VCU. I think they're right there with San Diego State. Obi Toppin is the best mid-major player in the country by a mile. 100%. And he, if he doesn't get a first-team All-American this year, I'd probably be surprised. Well, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But, I mean, so far, he's he's earned that. Uh, he outplayed Anthony Edwards in that first game against Georgia, uh, took over against Virginia Tech and led that blowout. And for the first 30 minutes against Kansas, I thought was the best player on the court. And then uh, Dayton kind of got away from him. 
and uh, it, it did look like Toppin was was a little bit tired uh, carrying a team through three days against tough competition like that can do that to you. Um, but for 30 minutes, he was the best player on the court. He Kansas had no answers for him uh, until they started running through as a bouquet down low. The thing that it, it spoke to me, though, A-10 is going to be tough this year, obviously, with, with Dayton and VCU, um, a good Rhode Island team, uh, a Davidson team that we thought was going to be good. Now we're not so sure, uh, but they at least have some talent. Uh, they're going to be tested, but this is a team with their offense, especially uh, the ranking in the top five in the country in offensive efficiency, that's going to be able to, to win, I think, multiple games in the state tournament as long as Toppin stays healthy. Yeah, and look, I'm not going to go out of my way to say that their, their wins or the teams they beat are anything special. Um, no. I know Virginia Tech beat Michigan State, but then they've been blown out in the two games since Georgia has Anthony Edwards and that's pretty much it. But the way they beat those teams is what makes me think that they can, they can win some games in March and and the way they competed with Kansas, which right now is probably the number two team in the country. Um, You could put Ohio state up there. You could still put Michigan up there, but, but Kansas is kind of, alleviated some of the concerns we had after their first game. Um, mm-hmm. But but I like Dayton. And, I, and look, I think that because the, the high major teams kind of in the middle of their conferences have looked so bad, you know, Dayton's just, just one of a lot of mid-major teams now that are have stepped up in the past week or so. And so... Whereas before it was kind of concerning with how the mid-majors were playing, I think that Feast Week was kind of outside of, of uh, Michigan and, and Arizona. Feast Week was more about the mid-major teams than I was expecting. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a good thing and kind of falls in line with what we've been saying about college basketball this year is that there's no great teams. There's a lot of good ones. Uh, but no great ones. And because of that, the gap between the better mid-major programs and the power conferences uh, is is smaller than it has been in the past. Yeah. And there's a, there's a ton of mid-majors that are, that are surprising. I mean, I think we expected San Diego State to be good. I don't know if we expected them to look this good early on. Yeah, well, uh, let's talk about San Diego State because I think they're another one of those mid-major surprises this week that are sitting here undefeated, uh, have, a, I think, a legitimate star in Malachi Flynn. Um, I, I think they also earn some respect with their play on Feast Week as well. What do you see as their sort of outlook now moving forward now that we have about eight games of watching them? I think Utah State should be scared. And not just, oh, this is a team that could challenge us. I think right now San Diego State's the better basketball team. Than Utah. What about State. when Utah State gets uh, Keita back? I think that probably makes it even, and I think that they're yeah. going to have three battles um, this season. But I, I still think San Diego State might be a little bit better. I just think they're deeper, and and, and nothing against Utah State. Utah State has, you know, well when Keita gets back, two or three excellent scores. But San Diego State has a lot of pieces that are are good and just not talked about because you've got the play of, uh, of Malachi Flynn. Um, so Utah state is probably still the favorite. Uh, you know, they just, they just lost to a, to an excellent St. Mary's team that is kind of making us a little bit, le- me a little bit less worried about having a one bid WCC. Um, Are you still worried about the loss to Winthrop? Oh, I am, and I don't think – I think <laughs> St. Mary's can't really afford a loss outside of Gonzaga moving forward. Yeah. Um, maybe BYU, uh, now that BYU has Childs back, and they've looked solid without Childs through the first they half have. of two months. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit less worried than I was before because I think that St. Mary's is not going to be susceptible – or, or won't be as susceptible as I think the Winthrop loss kind of led me to believe, uh, to losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to. But, I mean, they're still playing close. The, the issue with St. Mary's is the pace they play at 
I mean, if you if you get two to three buckets that were highly contested, um, that could be the difference in winning and losing with St. Mary's, just because there's there's not a ton of scoring in those games. Yeah. Well, I want to shift back east to the NIT season tip-off because I, I think that that tournament was largely overshadowed by some of the, the bigger ones, uh, the teams that we've talked about so far. But I, I think there were two teams that came out of that with really big uh, storylines that we could take moving forward. Uh, the first of which being Oklahoma State, uh, who won that somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, they're still sitting undefeated with some pretty good wins on the resume. Uh, and then on the other end of that, Syracuse lost both of their games and lost again Tuesday night to Iowa. I don't think Syracuse I, – I said before the season, I thought they were a bottom five team in the ACC – and I haven't seen anything from them that inspires any confidence or makes me think that they're going to be anything resembling good this year. No, and I think we saw that. I hesitate to say we saw that in the first game, but I think we saw that in the first game. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's tough to score against Virginia. People wrote it off because it was Virginia, yeah. but there were a lot of things that were not Virginia-related. Right, and so, you know... I think, I mean, I, I hesitate to say awful. Their offense is awful. Um, yes. They got a lot of high-scoring games against a lot of bad defenses early in the season, but I think once they start playing defenses that are willing to challenge them, they're, they're not going to score. Uh, and, and their defense doesn't look as good as it, used, as it usually does. Um, and, it, and it might be the youth. Uh, it, it might just be that teams have kind of, figured out especially especially with with the the floor spacing that was created by the new three-point line um how to attack them but yeah i I mean this isn't going to be one of those seasons for syracuse where they kind of middle around in the acc and then get a bid as a as a nine or ten or an 11 seed i mean this is going to be a bad year for syracuse and it kind of sucks that Bayheim's going out like this but you know it is what it is I, they, he just hasn't been recruiting at a high enough level. And they've been able to get by uh, with Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, but now those guys are gone. It's Elijah Hughes and a bunch of guys that aren't aren't great. They yeah. it, It's very obvious when you watch them play a, a decent team that Elijah Hughes is the only guy who can score consistently when he wants to without relying on other people. Mm-hmm. And they're slow. They're slow. They're unathletic, and they can't score. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest thing for them is that they're just they, they don't have athletes. Yeah. And you saw it against Oklahoma State. You saw it against Penn State. Um, I mean, they just what they they've played. They played four high major teams and lost every game by double digits. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That should tell you like, something. It's it's not even close. No, and I don't see it getting better either. Is Buddy Beheim all of a sudden going to become, you know, somebody who strikes fear in an opponent as the playmaker? I, I, I think Joe Girard has some upside in his long-term collegiate career, yeah. but I don't see him becoming a star this year. No, and, I, and like I said, if, if, if Buddy Beheim is one of your top two players, I mean, you're not going to be good. And that's the thing. If if Buddy Beheim is not your second best player, it's probably Dolzhai. Yeah. Which is also super concerning. Yeah. So I I, I don't see where they go. It's it's going to be a long year. Uh, it's a good thing they have Wake Forest and, and Clemson in that conference, or else Syracuse might be kind of kind of hanging out in the cellar. Yeah. But on, on the other end of that, with Oklahoma State, beat Syracuse in their first game at the NIT, and then blew out Ole Miss, won by 41 points in the championship game. Uh, a year ahead of schedule, I think, under Mike Boyden. Uh, they have Cade Cunningham coming in next year. Uh, I, th- I think that was the year a lot of people were uh, excited about and pointing to as this whole Oklahoma State team making that step forward. But this team so far, they don't do anything particularly great, but they do everything pretty well. And they look like an NCAA tournament team because of that. Yeah, I mean, when we did our when we did our Big Twelve preview, I had them at six. I had them as at the top of the bottom half of the Big Twelve. Um, but I think consistency wise, I think they're going to do better than than Texas. 
Uh, mm. I think that they're going to do better than West Virginia. And, and really, the two teams that are probably better than Oklahoma State right now are Kansas and I would say Baylor is probably still better than than OK State. But they're, I mean, they're good and and they're going to do some damage in the Big Twelve. And I just like you know they 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 have five guys that can really score the ball um and then a bunch of a bunch of rotational pieces that come in come out that's my biggest issue i think is is how long can they go with five guys playing 30 minutes a night right and that's going to be the thing that i or one of the things at least i i think a lack of true offensive firepower is going to play a role in this too, but there's a very, a very visible ceiling with this team. Right. And they're not going to challenge for the conference championship or anything like that, but they're definitely taking a step in the right direction. And with the pieces they have coming in next year, especially uh, it's going to look like this is going to be a pretty good two year run at least for, for the Cowboys. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that uh, they, they, I mean, they've looked good. And and so I want to see, them play a team that I would I think George well not even Georgetown anymore because they can we talk about that they, yes it's they, been I am they lost I don't even know it's just confusing to me I mean I get I get the three players that were named um in the in the uh the what the robbery charges but, yeah so I, I went through all the court documents last night put in a story together for bustingbrackets.com um the akinjo aspect of this is interesting um because obviously they announced his decision to transfer alongside josh leblanc's decision to transfer and akinjo's for all intents and purposes appears to be purely on court reasons doesn't like the direction the program's headed in one move back to the west coast uh, he's from the oakland area so that makes sense. Gonzaga is somebody who's been mentioned as a, as a potential destination for him. Um, but LeBlanc was a said, was dismissed. He wasn't essentially, he's not transferring. He was flat out kicked off the team. Uh, and there were a couple civil complaints filed against him. Uh, Myron Gardner and Galen Alexander, uh, also on the Georgetown team, mm-hmm. uh, for sexual harassment, assault, uh, burglary, and then uh, some intimidation. Um, an assault and battery after the fact. Uh, they stem from, uh, I think, uh, sept- a September incident in which there was a uh, sexual harassment filed, and then the next day uh, they burglarized the same uh, girl's home with her roommate. Uh, both of both the, the both plaintiffs, which are, are, are two females who, who live together, um, filed restraining orders against the three of them, uh, against LeBlanc, Alexander, and Gardner. And then there was a, a restraining order that, that ended up being issued in November uh, because of some constant harassment after the fact. Yeah. And that, that's not a good look for your program. No. And we can, we can talk about all of the, the off-court stuff and the impacts of, of the legal ramifications of, of what they did and how it should affect their status. But if we're looking at just Georgetown on the court this season, you lost two starters – uh, your your best player, I think, in Kenjo, and Alexander and Gardner are still on the team, but I can't imagine they're going to be on there for, for that much longer. Uh, and for a team that I was particularly high on coming into this year, uh, from a uh, again a purely on court perspective, this sinks them. Oh, it does. And I, my biggest issue from this whole thing is, I think they did a Kenjo a huge disservice in the way they announced it. Because 100%. for 24 hours, you just assumed that he was involved because no one disputed the fact that he wasn't. It was just kind of, you know, they named the three in the robbery, but they also announced LeBlanc and Akinjo in the same well, like, here, here's five the minutes. Thing with there was a, a reportedly there were there was some reports of this as well. A um, student group on campus that was providing. Uh, people with a list of other students on campus who had been accused of sexual harassment, assault, things like that. Yep. And Re- LeBlanc's name was on the list. 
uh, Gardner and Alexander's names, I, I believe, were on the list. There are multiple Georgetown basketball players' names that were on that list. Uh, Ken Joe's name was linked to that list as well. I haven't seen anything related to that to back that up. There are no um, current legal proceedings against him. There are no police investigations into him. So I, we don't know if that's true or not. It, it's looking like it's probably not. Uh, but that, I think, is where there was some gray area, uh, plus the way Georgetown announced it, like you mentioned, certainly led people down that path. Right. And and you just want, you, you have to wonder, um, because Georgetown wasn't really playing particularly well before this happened. I know they had the win over Texas, but outside of that, they kind of struggled to put away Georgia State. They lost to Penn State. They lost to UNC Greensboro. Um, where at the beginning of the season, we were we were kind of talking about a, a steady rise in production um, that was going to eventually hit for, for Coach Ewing. This puts him in a tough spot, and you know I'm not I'm not I'm not going to go out of my way to say, look, he he doesn't deserve any of this and. Um, this was all completely unrelated, but I mean, it, it does, you can't, you can't ignore the fact that it puts him in a tough spot. Yeah. And I think his future is going to be determined by the way Georgetown looks at this. And it's worth remembering that Georgetown kind of hung by uh, John Thompson, the third, a lot longer than they probably should have. Uh, now I know Ewing doesn't have the Thompson last name, but he is one of the most distinguished members uh, of that, of one of the most distinguished alums of the school. So, you know, I, I think if they can give him any benefit of the doubt, they will. The look at this as either he got rid of some problem players when a problem arose and it set him back a little bit and they'll give him a bit of a longer leash for handling a matter in the way that he should have. Right. At the same token, there seems to be some questions as to what Georgetown knows when they knew it. Uh, there have been some more rumors about other things Lamont may have been involved in uh, dating back to last year. There's nothing substantiated with those, so I don't want to go all in uh, with that, but there is potentially some more stuff that could come out about LeBlanc. Um, And if that stuff is true, there becomes a question of what they knew when they knew, if they did anything about it, kind of a deal that could sink him much sooner than it would otherwise. So I I think there's still a lot that has to come out and information that has to make itself known in public before we can truly cast judgment on this. Uh, But for a guy who was facing a crucial year anyway, it puts Ewing in a really, really weird spot. Oh, for sure. And and especially since, look, I mean, the the Big East uh, is is kind of... The the ball's good. DePaul's right, good. DePaul I mean, it, it's it really is. It looks like a, a tale of two halves. DePaul's looked good. Butler's looked great. Um, yeah. Xavier continues to win. St. John's continues to win. Um, I mean, there's they have no losing records, and and most high majors have have you know I at least the, one clunker. At least one clunker. Um, Providence is Providence was probably the closest to being a clunker out of the Big East. Yeah. Uh, but now it's, I mean, it's probably going to be Georgetown um, or St. John's. I mean, I, St. John's continues to win, but I'm still not convinced they're any good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you can say that a lot about a lot of teams that are that are continuing to win right now. Um, mm-hmm. Portland for the WCC has found a way to win, and I'm still not convinced that they're they're going to finish anywhere above ninth in that conference. But no pilots, baby. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, I just thought that we we should talk about that because it was it kind yeah, of I, came out of nowhere and and for 24 hours nobody had any information other than there was this you know these charges filed and these two players are transferring and people kind of made those connections without really having any other information. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things in in today's social media age everyone's quick to jump to conclusions and you put your initial thoughts out there. People gather facts, and then it becomes an entirely different situation than what it looked like originally. And uh, Georgetown has not been very forthcoming with information. And, again, the way they presented it, um, I think, painted it in a different light than what it actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
we'll, we'll make a hard left turn now and go back to talking about actual on-court things, the fun things that don't that don't matter as much in the grand scheme of the legal system. Um, but I want to talk about go back to the Big Twelve uh, and talk about Texas Tech because Texas Tech lost both their games during Feast Week, lost to Iowa, lost to Creighton. Not exactly great losses, but went from number 12 to out of the AP poll. They have a lot of new players. They lost four starters from last year's team. A lot of people, rightfully so, including myself, gave Chris Beard the benefit of the doubt because of what he was able to do with last year's group after he lost pretty much his entire starting lineup. And this team has talent, but they put up, uh, quite frankly, two pretty bad performances last week and were very un-Texas Tech-like defensively I, I for me at least I, I think they'll grow and be fine but are there some questions as to how good the Red Raiders actually are yeah I think I mean they're 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 a team that was ranked almost entirely I think based on potential um and Chris Beard yeah and I, Chris I, I Beard. The, the respect that Chris Beard has earned exactly and I mean because they had this potential, we, we ranked them pretty high, and they continued to win, so they were continuing to, to be ranked high. And, uh, you know, they, quite frankly, I mean, their defense really, outside of, outside of what, Beth and Cookman, their, their defense hasn't looked otherworldly like it did last year. Um, they gave up, what, 70-plus points to Houston Baptist, uh, nearly 70 to Brooklyn. Um and quite frankly, I mean, both these losses, I mean, you could say they kind of put up a clunker offensively against Iowa, but I mean, both these losses were, were lost on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, both, both Iowa and Creighton made at least 10 three-pointers. Uh, one of them made 10, one of them made 11. Uh, I'm not looking at it right now, I can't remember who made what. They gave up 21 threes in a two-game stretch which is not something that Texas Tech does. No, they, they force you to, 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 to attack the basket, um, and that's how they won all those games last year. Um, so so with, with Oklahoma State's rise then, I, I think people at Texas Tech as a, as a two or number three in the Big 12, how far down do you see them sliding, if at all, in sort of the Big 12 pecking order? Like I said, I think Oklahoma State right now would be my third team behind Baylor and Kansas. Uh, I'd probably put Texas Tech probably on par with with Texas um, and Oklahoma, probably a step behind West Virginia. Um, but, I mean, look, they, they're one of those teams, too, that – January could come and all of a sudden they have it. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's because of their youth. Uh, I mean, I'm not expecting teams, um, some other teams to just flip that switch uh, because they've had time to play together. So if they don't have it now, what makes me think they're going to have it in, in January? But Texas Tech's one of those teams where I'll give them another couple of weeks. I mean, see how they respond yeah. to these losses. And, and then we'll see. But but right now, I mean, they look to be in the middle, probably that five to, to seven range. Yeah, and it is worth noting for the Creighton game that uh, Jamias Ramsey, their star freshman guard who has been, I, I think, very clearly their best, at least offensive player so far this season, didn't play. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily impact the way they played defensively, but that or, or, or how they played against Iowa. Um but that is a fact, right. and you know, I trust Beard enough to get them to where they need to be, or at least playing better uh, come conference play. Um, but I, I don't think it was talked about, kind of how how poor their week was. Yeah, no, their 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 week was 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 pretty poor, um, and, and in a, in a week where. I don't think we had too many just outrageously surprising poor weeks. No. Um, it, it stuck out. And, and I think that's why everyone's talking about it is because it stuck out. Because uh, there were other teams that had bad losses. Gonzaga got blown out by Michigan, which turned into not so bad a loss. Because uh, everybody got blown out by Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Oregon lost two kind of really close games in a row, um, but they did beat Seton Hall. VCU suffered their first loss. Tennessee suffered their first loss. But but no team kind of put up a clunker of a week after not really playing anybody um, quite like Texas Tech. And, and I think that's why a lot of people will point to them as being slightly overrated, which they probably were. I mean, when, whenever you yeah. rank a team based on their potential, you're, you're going to overrate them slightly because I don't think any team really reaches its true potential. Um, but... I mean, that's, it is what it is. And and Chris Beard being the coach that he is, I think we'll, we'll figure out a way to get this team kind of back on the right track. And I, I still think that they're an NCAA tournament team, but it has to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, Wake Forest had a pretty surprising week uh, as part of the Wooden Legacy. After beating Davidson, they went, uh, beat Charleston pretty handily, beat Long Beach State, ended up, facing Arizona in the championship of the Wooden Legacy and gave the Wildcats a pretty good test. Uh, but Arizona hung on and won that game. They're still sitting here undefeated. Uh, the top of the Pac-12, I think, is looking really strong. Oregon did lose those two games um, at the Battle for Atlantis, but I, I, I left that tournament feeling still pretty confident about the Ducks. Um, you know, playing three top 15 teams in less than 48 hours, with, I'll, I'll with, let you lose some some games. Yeah, well, and and especially since they're missing probably maybe not their best, but probably their most talented player. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I mean, and he's coming back, uh, so you don't really have to worry about that. It's it's just a matter of when he comes back, not not if he's going to come back. He'll be back in mid December. Uh, so I'm confident. I mean, Arizona might not have won the the prettiest games. Um, imaginable this week. I mean, the Pepperdine game was exciting, but they gave up 91 points to Pepperdine on with zero bench points scored by the Waves, um, which I found... I, I, I don't know if, if that's... I'd have to look it up. I don't know if that's the, the most points that a starting unit has scored without the bench scoring any points, but... It's got to be close. It's got... Yeah. I mean, it was exciting, but they won. And they continue to win. And they continue to put up insane scoring numbers. So yeah. I'm, I'm confident. I mean, their first, I guess, real test, if you want to go with that, their, their first test against a team that we know is a NCAA tournament lock and a Sweet 16 contender comes this week against Baylor, uh, at Baylor. So we'll see how that goes but you know i'm confident arizona oregon colorado I, I i don't have any any doubt that those three teams washington they're all going to be able to compete they're all going to get into the tournament um so how, how would you stack those teams against each other top of the pack 12 but washington i think is still hanging their hat on that win over baylor that they had arizona still winning not looking pretty uh, Oregon has some losses, looks good. Colorado just kind of keeps plugging along. How would you you put those four against each other? Despite the two losses, I still think Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12, and pretty I confidently. Agree. And they have another opportunity to, to get a, a big win if they can go into Ann Arbor and beat Michigan. Um, and... Look, if they beat Michigan, then they'll have three top 25 wins. Uh, they'll be three and two against top 25 teams um, with another win against Houston. And I think they'll be sitting pretty. Arizona is, is a clear number two for me. They just continue to win. They continue to put up insane scoring numbers. I don't necessarily think that they're or they've shown that they can be as competitive with the top talent as, as Oregon's had the opportunity to show. Um, only losing in overtime to Gonzaga and by four to UNC. But uh, Arizona's probably two. Colorado, Washington, I, I keep going back and forth on them. I don't really know which team is better. Um, obviously, Colorado hasn't lost, but Washington's loss to Tennessee isn't doesn't look bad. bad. Um, and then behind them, you've just got kind of a shuffle of Stanford, Oregon State, USC, um, before and Arizona State probably, because neither of their losses were terrible. Uh and then, then you've got to talk about Cal 
Utah, UCLA, and Washington State as the bottom of that conference. Before we move on, uh, you were pretty high on Stanford coming into the year. Uh, They've been one of the, the biggest surprises through the first month. How good do you think they really are, and what's kind of their ceiling? Um, look, they, I mean, they ride and die pretty much with Oscar De Silva and, and Tyrell Terry. Um, mm-hmm. Dejan Davis is an excellent point guard. He sets the table. He's kind of taken a step back from where I think most people thought he would be in terms of scoring. Uh, but it's worked for them. Uh, Jaden Dallaire is looking as athletic as, as everyone knew he was, and I think, though, when it comes to playing in the Pac-12, where what they're going to have issues with is they don't really have a ton of talent in their bigs. And mm-hmm. so when they go up against a Zeke Naji uh, with Arizona, or they go up against the kind of twin towers you have at Oregon State, or Tyler Bay for Colorado, the list goes on. They probably have one of the weaker front courts, um, at least the you know four or five spots in the Pac-12, where they're really going to kill you is their backcourt and their wings. And so if they get into games where they have to kind of pound the ball inside uh, or keep getting run off the line, I'm not sure they're going to be able to compete. But outside, they play Kansas, and that'll be a true test of their bigs. Um, but outside of that, they should beat San Jose State. The San Francisco game is going to be a lot better than – a lot more high level than I think most people thought preseason. Mm-hmm. They should beat sure. USD. Uh, they should beat Cal. And then they play Washington. So Kansas, Washington, San Francisco, they have a couple of, of games where they're going to be tested a little bit uh, against San Francisco and then – if they beat Kansas or they beat Washington, that's when you kind of know that they're for real. Even if they don't, I think you're looking at them kind of going into the middle of January with a pretty lofty record. Yeah. And we've talked about it, especially this year, where there doesn't project to be as many good teams on the bubble. You might be able to overwhelm the tournament committee and the selection committee with just the number of wins you have. Right. And Stanford may fall in that boat if they're able to – go 500 or at least close to it in conference play now i want to look ahead uh to the week we have coming up no tournaments but we do have a lot of really good games the back half of the acc big 10 challenge uh playing a role in that game i'm really looking forward to a game i'm going to be at uh, is ohio state at north carolina wednesday night Uh, ohio state i think really surged up the polls and got some respect with that blowout win over Villanova. Uh, but this is their first road test against the UNC team that is tested uh, from their time in Atlantis. And Cole Anthony is a, is a star, but they don't necessarily always have a lot outside of him. Mm-hmm. So I think these are two teams that we know are good, but they can be really good. And I'm excited to see them kind of go up against each other and figure out who that team is that can be really good. Yeah. And, I mean, the game right going on right now, I think, is is probably the biggest game, we could say, um, outside of the Louisville-Michigan game, this, this Duke-Michigan State game. Um, and, and, look, I think one of the more – one of the, the biggest things we're going to have to look at is were the 85 points they gave up and, – and I know it was in overtime, but the 85 points they gave up to Stephen F. Austin, you know – a fluke or or is their defense just going to throw up some duds and i and i think that's going to be something to watch right now their defense looks pretty good so it was probably just a dud and and steven f austin i mean they're looking really good um yeah and they're they're a quality major program one of the better basketball programs in the state of texas right and so i think that i mean you're really talking about three teams uh, at the top of the four teams at the top of the ACC, Louisville's really the only team that doesn't have any concerns in any kind of aspect for me right now. Um, Virginia and UNC um, aren't really great offensively, uh, so it, it, you're going to see a lot, I think, throughout the the ACC um, and and the Big Ten in terms of uh, defensive battles. 
And so this ACC Big Ten challenge is, it's going to be fun. I give the edge to the Big Ten uh, moving forward, but we'll see. Uh, Both those conferences go back in, well, in the ACC's case, back into conference play this weekend. The Big Ten will start conference play this weekend with just those. uh, ACC's got one game because they started the season with a, a set of conference games. The Big Ten has their sort of early December week of conference games. Uh, some pretty good games in there as well. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State should be really good. Illinois, Maryland could be good, although Illinois put up an absolute dud for 35 minutes against Miami. Um, but there are a lot of other games this weekend too, uh, outside of those two conferences, that are going to be some really, really high-level matchups. Uh, are there any that you're looking forward to in particular? Uh, like I said, Arizona Baylor is is a game I'm really looking forward to because it's it's probably the first chance we get with Arizona to see them against a true top level team. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to to Florida Butler. Uh, I think that yes. everyone I think is under the impression, or not everyone, but there are a lot of people, myself included, is under the impression that Florida's kind of started to get the hang of things um but yeah but then they beat marshall by six because right. the same old team showed up again yeah so i think butler is a game that i don't want to say they have to win but if they lose big to butler um then i i i think that they've lost all uh kind of argument that they should yeah. have respect um, yeah, credibility. Um, outside we of that, Colorado, I mean, we have Colorado, Kansas Saturday night too, which I think could be a lot of fun. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, Great first Nebraska. real test for Colorado. Yeah, no, I mean, Colorado hasn't really played anyone. I still think they're really good, but I could understand why people are are a little weary. Um, I think Nebraska Creighton will probably be a, a, a pretty solid matchup. I mean, it's not going to be mm-hmm. high level, but it, or you know, top level, but it's it'll be good. Um, like you said, Big Ten matchups, Indiana, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, Maryland. Um, I mean, the Mountain West schedule starts this week. There's not a ton of top matchups that I'm looking forward to, really. But, I mean, it, it's there for, for Mountain West fans, I think. Uh, with with the emergence of San Diego State, New Mexico looks pretty good. Um the top, the top half of the Mountain West looks really good, so when those teams start playing each other, it's going to be really fun. The bottom half of the Mountain West looks awful, uh, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, it's, and it's, not, it's, it's like there's six teams in the Mountain West through Nevada that look like good basketball teams and a huge drop-off between Nevada and the next best team. So Mountain West, Mountain West matchups are going to be pretty hit or miss. Uh, Gonzaga travels to Seattle to play Washington. I think that'll be a pretty fun game. Uh, somewhat of a rivalry not really but becoming um, one it, it's becoming one it, it, it'll be good um i don't know seton hall i think Iowa state i think sunday has a pretty good slate from four o'clock on right um you got unc at virginia on the acc network yep so call your cable provider make sure they provide the acc network before sunday that game is going to be a lot of fun just to see those two contrasting styles. Uh, but also at four on the more accessible ESPNU, uh, Dayton and St. Mary's go up against each other. And I think that's one um, that's going to be not only a measuring stick game, but the opportunity for both teams to differentiate themselves from other top mid-major at-large contenders. Uh, having a, a win over another one like this uh, could pay some major dividends on selection Sunday. Yeah, and I think it's it's more it's it's more of a statement game. Even if they lose, it's more of a statement game that can be made for for St. Mary's than for Dayton because we know Dayton can compete with the top teams. Um, St. Mary's did beat Utah State, uh, but I think Dayton's a little bit better than Utah State, and I think that Dayton's better a better matchup against St. Mary's. So uh, it should be a fun game. But you know it has two of the two of the best mid-major players going up against each other in, in Obi Toppin and, and uh, Jordan Ford. So I'm just I, I'm a little bit more excited for for that ACC 
matchup than I am for Dayton St. Mary's just because I'm worried St. Mary's isn't going to be able to to match up well against Dayton. Yeah, uh, and, and don't forget to earlier in the day we have uh, Clemson at Florida State, and as was uh, pointed out by I believe the Florida State athletic department providing game notes that Florida State is seven and zero this season when they outscore their opponent. Jesus. They have not lost when they have scored more points than the other team. Just, it, it is, yeah, I, I don't even want to For the to record, this it. was put in some official game notes for Florida State, Indiana, just currently being played right now, that Florida State is 7-0 and when they outscore their opponents, in case common sense didn't tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with, with, with that because it's just ridiculous. It's, I, as a Jets fan, uh, where that line kind of became famous via the great Joe Namath, I just, I just can't, I just can't. It's, it's the worst. Um, but anyways, we've talked about upcoming games. We've talked about, we've talked about, uh, you know, which teams we think are good, which teams we think uh, need to do some work. Um, what are your I we end everyone with this. What's your bold prediction for this week? I was gonna ask if we should keep doing this because I gotta gotta look at the schedule and see what's what's coming up. Um my bold prediction for this week um is gonna be that Michigan State loses to Rutgers at home. Okay. I and now there, there's some recency bias because we're we have this Duke Michigan State game on and Michigan State again is not looking great offensively. We didn't even talk about Michigan State being upset by Virginia Tech, the projected last place team in the ACC at Maui. But uh, this goes back to some concerns I have about Michigan State in the off season. They don't have a second option next to Cassius Winston. So if anything goes wrong with them or the opponent was able to opposing defense was able to shut him down. They can't do anything. Uh, Duke's blowing them out in the first half right now. Um, Rutgers is a pretty solid team, um, well coached. Gave Michigan State some problems last year in East Lansing. Um, I think that could be the game that rings some alarm bells that the Michigan State team really isn't all that great. Yeah, no, they haven't looked good. They they've kind of been. I mean, they shut down without Cassius Winston, and and if he's on the court, they're an excellent team. If he's off the court, they're very, very, very beatable. So, yeah, yeah I like it, it's it's tough for them because if Joshua Langford comes back healthy or is healthy at any point, uh, which we all went into the season expecting him to be, uh, that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. They're still small in the front court and don't have a ton of depth there, but that's something they can overcome. Uh, but without Langford, it is Winston and a bunch of guys. Yeah. All right, but give me yours. Give me give me your bold prediction mm. for the week. So my my actual bold prediction is is I think that Baylor wins both games this week. Okay. Against Arizona and against Butler. Not that bold. But 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 that's gonna soften the blow for when I say I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia goes winless this week. I think, I would not either. I I think that Purdue is good. Well, enough. Okay, uh, they're gonna beat Purdue because Purdue is gonna be lucky to score thirty because they don't have anybody they go to. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. I, I think Purdue, Virginia is going to be a, a, a kind of test of which offense is worse. Um, yes. And it being in West Lafayette, I want to go with Purdue. Um, but I think that Virginia loses to UNC. So yeah. I, I'm i not going to say that they're going to go winless, but I, I'm but leaning. You're going to say they're going to go winless? Yeah, I'm leaning that way. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I just I, – I trust Purdue for, again, for 30 minutes. But then late in a close game, we've seen it this year at, at home in West Lafayette against Texas where they just don't score down the stretch. 
we saw it against Marquette where they had a huge lead, just don't score at all down the stretch, blow that lead as well. Um, and then the way Virginia plays defense. So I, I'm not high on Purdue, but given Virginia's own inability to score, um, it's certainly certainly a realistic outcome. Yeah, and it, it really rests kind of on their ability to shoot the ball, which Purdue's not a great shooting team. Um, but I, but I at no least. Bill Eastern is becoming the Michael K. Gilchrist of college basketball. Yeah, I, I, I was big on him uh, getting into the, the year, and he has done nothing, nothing to, to make me think that he's made any strides offensively. But yeah. it's going to be a struggle. I would not be surprised if neither team broke forty-five, and, and so at that point, it's just okay. Who gets one more? You know, one. One yeah. of their one extra of their fifteen shots to fall, right? So that's fair. Who yeah. whose shot clock prayer gets answered? Right. Um, but that's mine. I mean, it, I think this week there's there's so many close matchups that there's not really any bold predictions you can make outside of Michigan State losing at home to Rutgers, um, because it's either such a vast disparity of talent. Or it's, you know, two teams that are separated by probably a five-point spread in either direction. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. They're bold. We have to be bold. Top teams lose all the time. Yeah. So. All right. But that's mine. And I think it's going to be a fun It's probably going to be, even though Feast Week is fun, I think there's going to be a ton more just top-level these are true, like, sweet 16 possible matchups this week than they were last week. Yeah, and they're, for the most part, going to be true home and road games. Correct. And adding, and adding the atmosphere into the mix, uh, as opposed to the, you know, 2,000-person bleachers in a ballroom in a hotel in the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, with, with the coffee add, machine in the corner. The, yeah, <laughs> going to add to the, uh, to the effect, I think, a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. For this week's Busting Brackets podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by Connor Hope. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you guys again next time.